I heard a story one time about a Baptist preacher on an airplane, and there was a lot of turbulence, and a stewardess, I guess you call them flight attendants now, came up to him and said, uh, Sir, are you a reverend? And he said, Yes, I am. And she said, The passengers are getting nervous. Could you do something religious? And so uh, being a good Baptist, he did the only thing he could think of. He took an offering. We can't do that today, but I do want to say thank you for your support during this time. Thank you for those who have been giving and giving faithfully. We appreciate that and ask you to continue to do so. And whenever we're able to get back together and share, I think we're going to have some great testimonies about how God has used you and used our church. Even though we haven't been able to gather, we have been able to function. I saw a thing on Facebook that says the church is not closed but it is deployed, and that's the truth. Everywhere we go during these times of uncertainty and fear and turmoil in some cases, we're able to be the body of Christ and to be used by the Lord to give His Word and to give hope and to give the message of salvation and uh, to serve and minister to one another as well. And we're thankful for the opportunity to do that. So one of these days we'll be back together and we'll be sharing those kind of things. And I hope we're just overflowing with an abundance of all of that. But in the meantime, thank you for all of your support, especially for your prayers during this time. I think a lot of people um, don't understand that all of these things that are going on affecting businesses and all of that, they affect churches as well. And pastors and staff members in churches all over the country, we're in uncharted territory. We've never done this before. And so as we do these things and as we try some things, we're praying for the anointing of the Holy Spirit and for the leadership of the Lord and wisdom so that we do the right things in the right way for the glory of God. And it might be that we learn some things. There may be some things we try that don't work quite so well and we learn from that. There may be some things that cause us to actually adjust what we do. If we do some things well, we can always do them better. And so we would appreciate your help and your input on anything that we do. I want to ask you to turn to the book of Exodus today. Uh, Get a Bible out or use your phone or something like that. And let's look at at the uh, fourth chapter of the book of Exodus because we're going to talk about some things that happened in Moses' encounter with God that God is still doing today and God does with each one of us whenever we encounter Him. Now certainly whenever you are saved, and that's the point where you quit trusting in yourself and you realize that you're a sinner and you trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for your salvation, that He paid for your sin and He paid for it in full that he rose from the dead and you confessed him as Lord, you became a new creature in Christ, born again. Now, you have some problems with that, though, in terms of everyday life, because you don't always feel like a new creature, and at the moment of your salvation, you're not exactly thinking like a new creature. There's a process. You've got to grow, and you've got to learn. And God begins to teach you and change you in the three areas we're going to talk about today. But to those of you who have been born again, especially if you've been born again for any length of time, I believe that there are certain times where the Lord challenges you in these same three areas. So I want us to look in Exodus chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 1. 
And as we do that, may the Lord bless us and speak to our hearts and give us understanding of his word. Verse 1 says, Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A rod, the shepherd's staff. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. I don't really like snakes. I get the woolies even when I'm reading that. Verse 5. And he says that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Put your hand in your bosom again. And he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message from the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be that if they do not believe these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river, meaning the Nile, and pour it on the dry land. The water which you take from the river will become blood on dry land. So those three encounters, those three miracles, those three signs that Moses gives, uh, that God gives to Moses, pardon me, are in the context of what? Now, if you listen to some people, especially some TV preachers, they tell you that God only works in the context of great faith and that God will not and cannot work if you don't believe. And that always gives them a way out. If they are proclaiming to be healers or miracle workers or to give you a hundredfold of whatever you give to them and it doesn't happen, their way out is always you did not have enough faith for God to act. Now this is one of the climatic events in biblical history, even human history. As Abraham is the father of the Jewish race, it's Moses who is the father of the Jewish religion. It's Moses who gives them the commandments. It's Moses that writes down the law. It's Moses that is that imposing figure where all of the building of the tabernacle, the working of the sacrifices, the, uh, all of that that happens takes place after Moses. And so Moses, giving all of the uh, law under, of course, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is the father of the Jewish religion. And this great man that we still talk about and revere today, the first words he says after God tells him, I've called you to be the one through whom I liberate the Israeli slaves from Egypt, his first words are not great faith. In fact, his first words are not any faith at all. 
His first words are tremendous doubt. They're not going to listen to me. They're not going to believe me. And they're going to reject me saying that I did not hear from the voice of the Lord. Isn't it interesting that our sovereign God can overcome our lack of faith? Our sovereign God can overcome our inabilities. Moses has long ago lost any sense of self-sufficiency. When he was a young man, he thought he had some things going for him, and he attempted to liberate the slaves, and it ended up he had to run for his life. Now he's become a shepherd. And we know what the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis when Jacob and his sons were coming to Egypt to live during the famine, what the Egyptians thought of shepherds. Now Moses is a shepherd. And God is saying, I want to call you, not the prince of Egypt, but the shepherd in the desert. Not the young, capable man, but the old man who thinks that God has forgotten him. You are the one that I want to call, and you are the one that I want to use. And that's just a reminder that there are times when we need to say to God, like the man said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief, because none of us believe enough. None of us have enough faith. And I'm so glad to know that God is the one who gives us faith as a gift. Now we act upon that faith, and God does great things through us. But Moses is not a faith-filled person. This is no mighty man of valor that is speaking to the God of creation and the God of the universe at this point in his life. Even though he is there at the burning bush hearing the voice of God, he still has a tremendous amount of doubt. Now, none of this caught God by surprise. You don't find God speaking now of, well, I'm disappointed, Moses, I thought more of you, because God knows exactly where Moses is, and he knows the lack of faith that Moses has, and God is the one who is overcoming all of this, and he already knows exactly what he's going to do and what he is going to say to equip Moses to do the work that he wants him to do. And these three areas that are spoken of here are the same things that you and I have to deal with. And we deal with these things on an almost daily basis. In fact, sometimes it may be several times a day that you get attacked in these three things. Your mind may rise up and say, what God says is not true. What I feel is what is true. Now, that's why Christianity is so wonderful. We don't go by our feelings. Feelings are wonderful, but they're like the caboose on the train. They follow our faith. They do not lead our faith. We are people who believe in the facts of the Word of God, and because the Word of God is a fact, we put our faith and trust in what God says in His Word, whether we feel like it or not. And the feelings oftentimes come later. They're not the motivator. Well, at this point, God is speaking to Moses, and he is dealing with him in three areas. Now, at first glance, we look at this, and we say, well, this is a, a power show, so that when Moses goes to Egypt, he can put on the show, do the tricks, and everyone's going to believe. But most of you that are listening to me know the rest of the story. Pharaoh doesn't fall down before Moses and say, you are a prophet of the true and the living God. In fact, Moses continually hardens his heart. And the Bible also says that God even hardens Pharaoh's heart because God is going to go through a whole series of events 
in order to put his power and his might and to show his love for his people Israel in order to deliver them. But first, he's got to work on Moses. I learned a long time ago that if God is ever going to do a great work in my family, he must first do a great work in me. I've learned that if God is going to do a great work in the church, he must first do a great work in me. And that's true for all of us. And Moses is here, not in great leadership form, but in a man who really needs the hand of God and the work of God to do something great in his life. Moses is not ready for this from a human standpoint, point, and Moses is not ready to step out and do this on an emotional standpoint or even a spiritual standpoint. In fact, Moses is running from all of this. Did you notice that when he threw the rod on the ground, it became a, a snake? And the Bible says that Moses fled from the, sna the snake. Now, isn't it odd that he's in the presence of the creator of the snake, of his own creator, in fact, the creator of the universe and the galaxies? And this voice is speaking to him from the burning bush and has already revealed himself as the great I am. And what is Moses doing? He gets distracted by the snake and thinks that the snake is something that he has to run from. I get the feeling that when Moses threw his rod on the ground in obedience and then he saw the serpent, he started thinking, what's going on here? And God has suddenly lost control. This thing has invaded my life and that rod that I have has now become something dangerous. I think a lot of people are acting like that during this time of this COVID-19 virus. We think about that and we think as though God has somehow been caught off guard we think that maybe something has become potentially dangerous. We are always afraid of something that is going to wipe us out, that is going to change life as we know it. And we forget that there is a presence here that is the creator of the virus, the creator of us, the creator of the world in which we live, the author and the taker of life, and that is God himself. And many times we find ourselves focusing on the serpent, so to speak, instead of the God who made the rod the serpent. Moses should have been believing and trusting and in awe of God, and instead he's fleeing from the snake. There's a good lesson in life for a lot of us there. We can run from things we shouldn't run from instead of running to the one we should run to. Now in these three things that are speaking to Moses, that are working in Moses, let's learn what God has to say for us as well. What is the rod to a shepherd? Now I want to remind you that when Moses fled from Egypt, he came to Midian. And remember when he sat down by the well at Midian, then all of the turn of events that led to him uh, getting married and then going to work for his father-in-law. Well, when he rescued the young ladies at the well of Midian from the shepherds, when the young ladies went home and they told their father about it, you remember they said, an Egyptian, an Egyptian rescued us. That's because Moses looked like an Egyptian and was dressed like an Egyptian, act like an Egyptian. And I went through that string of events a few years ago when several people said, you forgot to say, walked like an Egyptian. But I was afraid that'd be way too distractive, even though I thought of it. 
But um, during this time, what did he look like and think like, and how did they identify him as an Egyptian? Now, you remember that the Egyptians, they despised shepherds. And yet when we come 40 years later, Moses no longer looks like an Egyptian. He's no longer young and in his prime. He is identified as a shepherd, the things that Egyptians loathed. And what does a shepherd have? He's holding his shepherd's staff. And as he is holding that, the Lord says, throw it down. Why would he say, throw that down? Because the staff that a shepherd had was his identity. You see, earlier, Moses had been identified as the Egyptian who saved us. But anyone who saw Moses now would never say, he looks like an Egyptian or talks like an Egyptian or is dressed like an Egyptian. What does he look like now? They would say he's a shepherd. How do you identify a shepherd? Well, I'm sure there are several things you could use to identify a shepherd. But the main thing would be, he's got the shepherd's staff, the rod. That was his identity. And whenever you encounter God, he is always going to change your view about your identity. Who are you? Who are you? Why are you here? What is your purpose? And it's going to be defined by your identity. And if you still see yourself as an Egyptian, let's say, someone in the world, who you were in the world, what your last name is, what your father did for a living, how educated you are, how much money do you have, what are your talents, what are your skills, then you're really not usable to God. All my life I've heard people, Sunday school teachers and others, talk about some celebrity and they say, oh, what he or she could do for God if they would just get saved. Well, if anybody gets saved, it's amazing what they can do for God because Jesus told us after the Holy Spirit comes that his followers would do greater works than he did. But it's not because of their celebrity. It's not because of their money. It's not because of their knowledge. It's not because of their entertainment skills. God doesn't need any of that. And in fact, it's very rare that he uses anything like that. What he needs or wants, what he desires, what he commands, that's a better way of putting it, is that we quit identifying ourselves in a worldly sense and identify ourselves through Jesus Christ. You see, the shepherd's staff, what would he use that for? Well, it identified him as a shepherd, but he would also use that whenever a wild animal would come to attack one of the sheep, he would use it to defend himself and to defend the sheep. And then there were times when maybe he was walking over rough terrain, he would use that to stabilize himself. Can I just suggest that whatever it is you really have as your identity is what you stabilize yourself with? What is it when times get rough and rocky and uncertain? What do you run to? And for some people, they run to alcohol. They run to drugs. Some people will run to immorality. Some people will run to entertainment. Some people will run to food. Any number of things. And we've got to change our identity because we've got to stabilize ourselves in the promises of God, in the nature and the character of God, instead of the things that we normally would run to. What is it that we defend ourselves with? 
Sometimes people defend themselves with sarcasm. Uh, sometimes people defend themselves with their intellect. Sometimes they defend themselves by out-talking other people. Just watch the news sometime or some of those shows where they have guests on. Don't you get tired of all of the yelling and over-talking and all of those things? Anything that we use to defend ourselves, to support who we are and what we think we are and what we believe, that becomes our identity. And in Moses' case, the Lord was saying to him, your identity is no longer going to be neither the Egyptian identity of the past or the shepherd identity of the present. You're going to be something more than that. And he threw the rod on the ground and then he began to run from the very thing that he had identified with, his shepherd's staff. And sometimes the things that we identify ourselves with actually become an enemy to everything that we want, dream about, and desire. I wonder today if God is not using this virus to challenge the United States of America and those of us who are citizens of this great land. You think about all of the things that are shut down now. All of the things that we revere. Sports, for example, pretty well gone right now. A lot of us, we look and we look at the stock market, we look at our money, we look at our 401k, we idolize those things because we find defense and security in them, and then we watch those things being threatened. We look around and we see some of the pronouncements from the government as to what we, well, we're living in a, an example of it right now. How much more are they going to take? How much more are they going to do? How much more control is going to be exerted? Milton Friedman, the great economist, said, there is nothing so permanent as a temporary government program. And boy, that is true. And some of these things, we may be crossing lines that are going to be very difficult, very difficult to uncross. And if we find our security in our government or in our system, any of those kind of things, that's how we identify ourselves. Maybe the Lord is calling us to remember who we are in Christ. Maybe he's calling people who are lost through your witness to turn to Jesus Christ and to trust him as Savior and Lord. Maybe out of this something wonderful happens because we as believers find out who we are in Christ instead of accepting everything that the world has to say to us. Let's think about that. Who are you? The book of Ephesians tells you over 40 times that you are in Christ, you are in Him, you are in the Lord. And we've got to see ourselves the way God sees us through the gospel of grace, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, through the promises of the Word of God, instead of looking around at this world and seeing all of the things our shepherd staff being threatened and becoming a threat to us. Look unto the Lord. I hope that makes sense. And I hope that you see what we're talking about there. Moses, stop thinking like a shepherd. Throw the rod down. Give it to God. And don't be afraid of whatever may happen to that. Because Moses then was commanded to...
to pick up the tail of the snake and it became a rod again. And no longer would that staff that he had be the rod of Moses. Now it's going to be the rod of God, the rod of authority, the rod of power. It's that same rod that is going to divide the Red Sea. It's that same rod that is going to strike a rock in the middle of the desert and water is going to come gushing out of that. How different it is when we surrender everything we have and who we are and the way we were made and all that we've experienced and every way we are gifted and talented to the Lord in brokenness so that when we pick it up again it is no longer ours but it is His. Can you use your talents for God? Yes you can if you surrender that to Him and it becomes His talent working through you. And that's the way we are to live in brokenness, in submission, in dependence upon the Lord and giving everything to him as Moses surrendered that rod and laid down his rod and then took up the rod of God. Number two, Moses then was commanded to do something very strange. I kind of picture Napoleon when he did this. Put your hand inside your cloak. So he put it in. And when he pulled it out, it was leprous. Now leprosy was a terrible disease. You think what we are looking at now with the coronavirus is bad. Leprosy was incurable and leprosy was something that would kill you 100% of the time. And so when he pulled that out, you can imagine the terror and the panic. Lord, what are you doing to me? And then the Lord said, put it back in and he did it and he pulled it out and it was all restored. There's something in here that is picturesque. When we think about Moses appearing to be whole and then becoming leprous and then whole again, it makes us think of the Lord Jesus Christ. As he came to earth and he lived a sinless life for us. And then he died on the cross and the Bible says that he was the one who knew no sin and then he became sin for us. He was cursed just like the leper would consider himself cursed. There he was with our sin upon his shoulders, with the wrath of God coming upon him. And then he said those wonderful words, it is finished, and he died. They put him in the tomb, and when he came out of the tomb, he had a glorified body, and he was whole again. We remember when he was on the cross, he prayed and he used the word, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And then when he became sin, he no longer called him Father, he used the term, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? The curse of God was upon him, and he became sin for us. And then, at the end, the relationship was restored when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. We see the picture of redemption. Christ coming in perfection, taking on our sin, the leprosy of our sin, and then being whole again when he was raised in a glorified body and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. But I also see something about Moses in here. You see, Moses needs to see himself in his inadequacy being caused not because he was old, not because he was in the desert, but the inadequacy that we all have as we face the call of God is our own personal sin. And it's as if God wanted to show uh, Moses something about himself. He says, take your hand and put it in your bosom. Put it by your heart. And when he pulls it out, 
he finds that there is leprosy on it. It wasn't the hand that made the heart wicked. It was the heart that made the hand corrupt. And as the Lord is showing Moses his inability to deal with his own corruption and his own sin, it reminds us of our inadequacy to fix our lives. It it reminds us of our inadequacy to be right with God or even to be what we want to be. The Apostle Paul even said, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. Who shall deliver me from this? He said, I'm a wretched man. And then he takes us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, Moses has to learn he is not complete. He is not perfect. He is not somebody who can reform himself. He is a sinner and a sinner by nature. And notice that the sin came upon his hand in a visible way. And that was revealing what only God could see in his heart. Someone said about this passage that the leprosy in the heart is exposed by the leprosy on the hand. And that's the way it is with all of us. The sin that comes out of us, the lack of faith, the disobedience, the fear that takes over us, those times when we know what to do and we don't do it, all of those things come not by our action but out of our heart, a heart that desperately needs to be reclaimed and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as Moses puts his hand in and the heart corrupts the hand, then so it is that the Lord says, put your hand back, and he becomes whole once again because only God can work that miracle of cleansing and that miracle of wholeness. And God is revealing to us as we trust in him and as we encounter him, not only our identity in Christ, but the presence of indwelling sin. We battle against it every single day and in so many situations. It's amazing how quickly you can get carnal. It's amazing how easily you are drawn to something that you didn't even intend to do. And it's amazing if we could ever expose it How awful and wicked our hearts would be if we all saw the truth about everybody else. I thought one day about Jesus being called in Isaiah a man of sorrows. And I thought about what it must have been like when he lived on earth with every person he talked to, every person in the crowds he ministered to. He knew what their real thought was. He knew what their real problem was. Can you imagine how it would change your life if you knew how the people you did business with really thought about you? If you knew how the people that you lived with in your neighborhood, what they really thought about you? If you really knew, even sometimes maybe at church, what people were really thinking, those things that they didn't say, it would be devastating to all of us. Remember, Jesus knew all of that. And remember that God, your Father, knows all about you, past, present, and future. He knows your motives. He knows your heart. He knows everything that is in there. And the only good that we have in us is Jesus Christ and that new nature that he gave us when the Holy Spirit came to indwell us. And just as Moses needed to learn, Moses, if you're left to yourself... It'll be just like it was 40 years before. Absolute and abject failure. When you tried to liberate the people of Israel and you thought that they would follow around you and there would be a great revolution and you ended up running for your life. 
It'll be no different now except for this. This is the call of God and this is the work of God as he takes a sinner and uses him for his glory in such a way that we're still talking about him thousands of years later. So you encounter the Lord He'll identify or, or cause you to uh, change the way you identify yourself. You encounter God and he is going to show you and deal with your sin in a way that only he can deal with your sin. And thirdly, the sign was if they don't believe then, take the water out of the river. What river would that be? The Nile River. You see, the Egyptians were dependent upon the Nile. If you were to ask the average Egyptian, what is the source of life? They would say it's the Nile. The Nile keeps us alive. Egypt is a desert place, so they need the river. And that mighty river provides the water that they need. They also need water for the crops. And the Nile provides the irrigation for the crops. The Nile was worshipped as some type of a god. And the Nile was seen as what gives life. It's the source of life to the Egyptian empire. Isn't that interesting? I can see how they would come to that conclusion on their own. I probably would have done the same thing had I lived in Egypt in those days. The Nile would flood. And as the Nile would flood, the mud out of the river would cover the land. And it uh, was a tremendous fertilizer. It enabled Egypt to grow crops. This would look like, to an average person, this is the source of life. And yet that is a blasphemous conclusion because it is created and sustained by God. It has no life in and of itself. It cannot create life. It can be used to sustain life, but it is not the source of life. Moses was told, take water out of the Nile that everyone supposed is the source of life. And pour it on the ground. And what did it become? Blood. What a miracle. What a great miracle. That would get attention, wouldn't it? But I think it also has something in a symbolic way that is even deeper than that could be. Moses later would write in the law that life is in the blood. That was a revolutionary concept back then. What could this be saying if life is in the blood? God is saying the source of life must be clarified. You cannot just assume you know what life is all about. You cannot just assume that you know where life comes from. It's amazing to me that we can look at all of the stuff going on in our world and look at the complexity of the ecosystems and look at the stars at night and, and look at the way God has made us. And then come to the conclusion that it's all by just random chance. We have a designer. We have a creator. And we are accountable to him. And that's what the world doesn't want to hear. They would rather believe in random chance. And mutations that are going to destroy and wipe out humanity. And all of those type of things. Instead of seeing a sovereign God who created us. And who is a sustainer of our life. You see, in our 21st century America, the way that we believe is as foolish, as blasphemous, and as abominable to God as Egyptians thinking that the Nile River was the source of life. We just say, nothing is the source of life, and then we go on as if that's okay. 
And then some people think that as people might go to the Nile River like Pharaoh's daughter did when Moses was a baby and go there to bathe, that we can cleanse ourselves and we can make ourselves acceptable. But the Nile River became blood because God wanted to show Moses and set up as a testimony for all of us that the source of life is not in the Nile or anything else. The source of life is not in something that we can see and something that we can bathe ourselves in. The source of life is in the blood. That's true medically. We know that now. But it's also true spiritually. For the Bible says that when Jesus ascended into heaven, he walked into a heavenly tabernacle, the true tabernacle. Not the one on earth, but the one in heaven. And the Bible says he took his own blood, and he put it on the heavenly mercy seat, and he did that for us. The Bible tells us that we are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's through the blood that we have life. It's through our Savior that we have life. It's through God himself, the author and sustainer of life, who sent us his Son to be the author and the finisher of our salvation. So let me ask you today, what do you hold in your hand? How do you identify yourself? I thought as I was preparing for this message, what it must have been uh, for Moses to get that rod. I wonder if Moses was just out and he found it and he fashioned it into the right kind of a rod and he made it himself. I guess that could be. The Bible doesn't tell us. And yet when he threw it down, in essence, wasn't he saying, everything that I've made of myself, everything that I have done, everything that I've achieved, I all lay it down and I see the danger of it and I take it up again now for it to be used for the glory of God. That could have happened. It might have been that he made it himself. And if he did, the point still stands. But I think what happened is, after he married Zipporah, his father-in-law said, Son, what do you do for a living? Good fathers-in-law always ask that, don't they? And Moses said, I don't have any kind of a job or anything I can do. And uh, Jethro, his father, said, Mm-hmm, you need a job. You have any sheep? No, Moses wouldn't have any sheep. Remember what the Egyptians thought of shepherds? So Jethro says, well, you can watch my sheep. And Moses, here he is at the age of 80. He's been demoted to a shepherd, and they're not even his own sheep. He's the hireling, isn't he? I wonder if Moses said, I don't know anything about sheep. And Jethro said, I'll teach you. And by the way, if you're going to be a shepherd... You need a rod, a staff. And Jethro identified Moses not as a deliverer, not as a prophet, not of anything like that. But here's a shepherd and I'm giving you this shepherd's staff. Uh, that's who you are. What have people told you that you are? What have people put upon you? What kind of burdens do you bear today because of what other people have said and what other people have put upon you? Could you lay it down today? Could you give that to God? And could you take it back up as the rod of God? Because you'll find out that some of the things that people have said about you and done to you in the past that hurt you greatly, God will use that pain and God will use those scars to enable you to minister to others 
like never before. And you wouldn't be able to do that unless you had been through that painful experience. But God will redeem that and God will use it. You can pick up that rejection. You can pick up those scars. You can pick up those hurts. You can pick up those betrayals now. And in the hand of God and with the rod of God, you can minister to those things and not be controlled by them. I wonder where you are today when it comes to dealing with sin. Are you so frustrated with trying to deal with your sin in your own strength, your own power, trying harder, doing better, making promise after promise after promise, going through all kinds of therapies and programs and all of that, promising yourself this is the last time and yet you find yourself with the leprous hand again? Well, will you submit that leprosy to the Lord and will you, you hear him say, your wicked heart produces all kinds of things. It's out of the heart, Jesus said, that comes murders and blasphemies and adulteries. It comes out of a wicked heart. But if you will trust Christ, and if you will surrender to him, and if you're a believer, if you will confess your sin, like it says in 1 John 1, 9, and if you will do what Proverbs says, not only confess but forsake it, You'll find out that the new heart that God gives you will give you the power to overcome sin in your life. You've got to deal with it. You can't hide it. You can't act like it is not there. You can't judge everybody else in order to elevate yourself. We're all equal at the foot of the cross, aren't we? Sinners. Sinners who fall short of the glory of God. Sinners that have an inner leprosy that exposes itself in all of us. And only, only through Christ can we be cleansed. Which brings us to this third thing. Where do you see the source of life? The source of life comes to us from a dying Savior hanging on a cross, bearing the wrath of God with His blood pouring out of His body and His blood being spilled upon the earth. That's the sacrifice. That's the blood that gives us life. It's the blood that is on the mercy seat today. It is the reason God the Father looks at us and He sees us through the blood of Christ cleansed and perfected. And so those three things today as we conclude are so important. How you identify yourself. Do it through the word of God with what God says about you. It tells us about dealing with sin. We can't deal with it, but he can. Confess your sin to the Lord and trust Christ as the full payment. And then remember that your life is not in what people say about you. It's not in your popularity. It's not in what you possess. It's not in the things maybe that possess you. It's not in how in all other people are of you. It's not in any of those things. Your life is in the Lord. In Him we live and breathe and have our being, the Scripture says. And it's through the blood of Jesus Christ that we are justified before Him so that when we die, we're absent from the body but present with the Lord. And just so we never forget, the Bible tells us that in Jesus' glorified body, His glorified body, He still has scars in His hands and His feet. Because any time after you get to heaven, you are ever privileged to gaze upon Jesus, you'll see nail-pierced hands, nail-pierced feet. As the old hymn says, those wounds yet visible above, in beauty glorified. And what are those nail prints a reminder of? He shed his blood 
for us because life is in the blood. And he gives us through his blood eternal life, the life of God. From now and forever we live and we live for him and in him because he is our life. And praise God for that. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes and let's have a word of prayer. And then we'll close out the service. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you showed us through this in Moses' life. I'm sure Moses looked and said, what in the world are you doing? And why are we going through these things? And maybe he had a superficial understanding of it, but he didn't really grasp all of it. But then again, Lord, neither do I. Neither do we. When we go through times that are hard, times that are difficult the loss of someone that we love, things like cancer, whenever we have job changes, whenever we have financial reversals, whatever things may be, our political candidate is not elected and the government acts in ways that we don't want them to act. There are a lot of things that we don't understand. Except today, maybe we're a step closer to understanding that all through our lives, you use the circumstances of life and even the things that the enemy brings against us under your sovereign plan to show us who we are in Christ and to quit identifying with things that are temporary and things that are untrue. You cause us to realize that we constantly ought to walk in humility because we're not perfect. We have indwelling sin. That leprosy always seems to pop out somewhere and only God can deliver us. And about the time you cause us to think that our life consists of the abundance of what we possess, we realize life is not in any of those things. Our life is in you through the blood of Jesus. So I conclude this prayer by asking you to save those who are lost, remind those who are saved of who they are in Christ and what your word says. And thirdly, Father, would you bless us by your grace, protecting us from this virus and from other things that might come our way? Shield us, protect us from it. And bless those who have to be immersed in it, those who are in the healthcare profession, those who are first responders. Please help them. And deliver those who are suffering from it now. And Father, we pray that you would give our leaders wisdom. And give us wisdom to know how to respond to them. And we pray, Father, that they would have humility. And they would have dependence upon you. And you would guide them through all of this. We pray, Father, that you would also bless our economy. So that when we were able to get back to work, people can pay their bills. People can take care of their households and pay their mortgages. But when all of that is said and done, our prayer would be for health and back to a roaring economy and also, Lord, where our church can gather again and may you grow us through all of this, bless us through all of this, but never let us forget that our life is in you. And especially we pray for spiritual awakening in America. Thank you, Lord, for this time together, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank